Jingophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to Anglophilia. I'm Kaylee McMahon. I'm Stephanie Callis. And I am feeling fresh and fruity because I'm not wearing any pants. <laughs> Is that a specific reference to something, or are you just generally... Um, I've watched so much Monty Python in the last few weeks that I have forgotten, like... Every line is getting blurred. My brain has turned into delightful, zany mush. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, likewise, I'm sure. Just to start off, this week has been downright Proustian for me. And let me tell you why. First off, obviously, I got to watch seasons three and four of Monty Python's Flying Circus, which was delightful. Second of all, the Lincoln Center Film Society is having a three-day retrospective this weekend of Fred and Ginger films. So I got to relive the fanciest parts of my childhood on the big screen. And then third, and perhaps most importantly, I discovered a place to play Monty Python's Complete Waste of Time online. <laughs> it was like being transported back in time, Stephanie. It was like being 10 again. It was magical. That's fantastic. I got to play the pig game. I fucking won the pig game. I was never that good as a kid, but I have improved in 20 years of not playing. I was frustrated when I failed to discover the secret to intergalactic success yet again. It was just, oh my god, it was 1996. That's awesome. Anyway, thank you guys for tuning into our third and final Flying Circus episode, in which we will be discussing season three, which aired from October 1972 to January 1973, and season four, which aired from October to December 1974. We mentioned in our last episode that John Cleese did not appear in season four, which consisted of only six episodes as opposed to the standard 13, and which dropped the Flying Circus from the title and was simply called Monty Python. So in season three, the very first thing that we see is Terry Jones as the nude organist. And I laughed so hard because Stephanie, I just immediately thought of you. <laughs> I just laughed really, really hard thinking about what a good time you met my friend Stephanie must be having watching this same image. The very first note I wrote of episode two is I definitely paused during naked organ playing Terry Jones dot 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 kind of beefy. Oh my God. <laughs> Young Terry Jones got a big fat ass. Oh my god. <laughs> it is cute. I uh, like it. Talking about the introduction, each season they've been building on. So at first you just have Michael Palin as the It's Man, and then you have John Cleese saying, and now for something completely different, and then it's and now we've thrown the nude organist into the mix. And they get even more experimental with where in the show the opening credits happen and where in the show the closing credits happen. At the same time, it's kind of funny that in that same season where they introduce, you know, something like a nude organist, they also start experimenting with longer sketches on a maybe more regular basis. Yeah, they're a lot more linear. The early examples of that that come to mind are, of course, the science fiction sketch and Scott of the Antarctic. But yeah, this is the season where they do a complete story that the whole 30 minutes is just uh, the cycling tour, which I really oh, enjoy. Oh, I love the cycling tour. Uh, I, lo I love that um, like half of it is just Michael Palin describing the bizarre snacks that he's taken with him. Yes. <laughs> I feel like we all know people like that. Oh, completely. We're just fixated on the most boring and wrong things. Oh, completely. But I love um, Terry Jones as the cab driver who then takes on several different personalities as the sketch oh, yeah. goes on until finally he's Trotsky, but then he's Trotsky who thinks he's like a lounge singer and he puts on that feather boa and keeps like flirting Doesn't with the men. Doesn't he think that he's, he's Eartha Kitt? 
something like that. Which I think is the least offensive blackface that they've done. It this is the least offensive blackface because I blackface. no, I think that in the case of the cycling sketch, they just kind of give him a little bit of a spray tan as opposed to a full on shellacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plenty of plenty of blackface. Blackface as African natives. It's a little bit kind of extra weird. Oh, yeah. No, this was a season where they just sort of doubled down on everything that we said that we didn't like about the second season. Because <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, the thing that really stuck in my craw was Eric Idle in blackface. But in this season, I believe every single one of them gets in blackface at some point. More than once. Yes. Including when Graham Chapman returns home from Dublin. Yes. I know that there's no use questioning anything, really, like when it comes to entertainment. Like, I... And one of those people who, if I'm on the couch watching something with you and it's not a situation like um, The Room, for instance, where, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, every other line you go, what? Why? (laughs) And I think that that's fine. But if you're just kind of straight up watching something, if someone goes, but why? Why are they doing that? I'm like, you just shut the fuck up and watch the movie. (laughs) So I'm not trying to ask the Pythons to come up with an answer for me. But in that situation, I did go, and why did you have to throw Graham Chapman in blackface? He went to Dublin. I don't get it. Anyway. It's unnecessary, and I think it's why these seasons are not quite as successful as the early ones, because there seems to be a greater amount of that. I want to bring up the All England Summarize Proust sketch, because I think that this kind of typifies the latter seasons, is that, you know, we, we talked a little bit last week about how, I mean, I posed the question, are these guys brilliant because they remained so perfectly childish, or are they brilliant because they're obviously very smart? And I don't, I don't have an answer yet. <laughs> after, I think after, the answer is both, right? But first of all, summarizing Proust, I get how that's very funny and also kind of not at all funny. But mm-hmm. either way, it's smart because you'd have to have heard of the author and um, you'd have to have heard of Swan's Way because people get up one by one and they try to summarize Swan's Way, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages. And so you have them get up one by one and try different tacks of summarizing it under a certain amount of time. And then in the end, the winner is the girl with big boobies. And I just kind of thought, dang it, this is what you guys keep doing to me, is you show exactly how fucking smart and different you are. And then in the end, you could just kind of be any comedian making fun of big boobies yeah you know it's interesting we keep saying like oh you had a great sketch and then you ruined it like oh you ruined it with the blackface oh you (laughs) you're doing so well and then oh also there's a lot of weird asian there's a lot of yellow face oh they finally do yellow face and i actually and and is that in the cyclist sketch too is it i don't know i was thinking of um elizabeth with terry jones is the japanese director who all of the oh you know what, though? Wasn't he, like, Italian, but they just kind of gave him no, weird no, eyes? No, no, no. He was posing as an Italian filmmaker, but he was actually a Japanese man. And there, so, like, the joke is that there's all these people in this Elizabethan drama, and they're all confusing their R's and L's. And at first, I was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. This is maybe one of those sort of playful things that they do with language, where, like, there's the person who speaks in anagrams, or the person I who love that one. Puts, you know, it will be saying a sentence and finish it with the completely wrong fuse box you know there's there's a lot of fun stuff and I was like I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and maybe this isn't maybe it's racist of me to assume that this is racist against Asians because they haven't brought that in and then of course they they bring in the director which is which is Terry Jones pretending to be Japanese and I was like oh yep that was naive of me to think that it could be anything other than just an offensive shitty joke oh gosh okay because 
I missed that he was Japanese because I thought he was Italian. I guess I missed the reveal that he was Japanese pretending to be Italian because, first of all, all of that's incorrect. So everything is. (laughs) But no, it it definitely is the cycling tour because my my note says, finally Asian impression, Graham Chapman is Mr. Atkinson. And um, they even have John Cleese come in and do it at one point, which, you know, that disappointed me as well because I was absolutely loving the hell out of how funny Michael Palin and Terry Jones were being. I still love a lot of that sketch, but yeah, man. You know, when I saw the yellow face, I went, oh, finally, there it is. Of course. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is that we had talked about the Attila the Hun sketch, which was the thing that was ruined by <laughs> the Uncle Tom character. But from to me, that didn't bother me because... Or John Cleese as Attila didn't bother me when he was pretending to be Asian because he wasn't putting on any sort of an accent. He didn't do anything weird with his eyes or anything. It was really just it it seemed more like a commentary on how like white people will just sort of whitewash things like how, you know, you'll have like white people playing Egyptians in all of these movies from like the 50s and 60s. It was a very hilarious send up of a specific kind of cheesy family sitcom. Yeah. The race was not the butt of the joke. It was just the setting of like, oh, here's this really barbaric figure from history being a loving father. Like that that was the joke until then right. it became really gross. So that didn't bother me, but but in this season, yeah, there is a lot of a lot of black, a lot of Asian humor, a lot of weird homophobia. It's just like, oh, guys, I don't know. Well, and but- again, I think that goes back to, for me, it being extra disappointing because we know how creative they are because they've proven it to us. That's true. But again, they have been going for a long time at this point, And maybe, you know, as they were sort of running out of ideas, as they were getting a little bit more tired and it was getting a little bit less fresh, that's when you sort of fall back on those crutches. I know. Oh, with no. this season, though, with season three, every time I felt in danger of reaching Python fatigue, that was when they would hit me with something like the argument clinic or the cheese <laughs> shop and just floor me and it's like I was just I was ready to write this off as like okay this is getting kind of tired this is getting kind of racist and uncomfortable but then it's just like cue Dolly Parton's here you come again you knock me out boys I just I wish I could quit you I got a confession to make yeah I'm not sure I like the cheese shop sketch oh okay I know it's not bad and I guess that it would be a really wonderful one to see live because in my reading of it, they just add more and more weirder kind of made up different types of cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do sort of love how there's the people doing the the folk dancing mm-hmm. <laughs> in the corner the whole time. <laughs> like that kills me. But I guess there are just other John Cleese, Michael Palin sketches that I prefer where one or the other walks into a shop and the shop is not as it seems. Sure. So... Why don't you talk about the cheese shop? Because I want because to, to know. To make you see why it's good. Well, I'm not, I don't want, I don't mean to do it in a bullying way. <laughs> I don't, what I don't do mean you to explain it, Kaylee. Why exactly. Do you I, see why it's so good? Oh God. I remember in my fourth grade class, it was the year of the fucking Spice Girls and a girl did like a fucking impromptu show and tell because she had bought the new album and that was newsworthy and that was the kind of thing that (laughs) you would ask your teacher if you could talk about and if you had five minutes she'd go sure go up there and talk about how you bought the new album and all the girls got jealous and omg the new spice girls and this kid raises his hand and goes i have a question what's so great about the spice girls and i thought like (laughs) why don't you go far away 
Why yeah. why does anybody like anything? So I'm tr- I'm not asking you what's so great about the Spice Girls or what's so great well, about the Well, because you know shop. what's so great about I the Spice Girls. I just don't see why it's as iconic as the other internationally iconic sketches. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you, you just take a joke and you make it run for so long that it becomes hilarious. I mean, he names over 40 different types of cheese, which is already just impressive. That's true. Now, my good man, some cheese, please. Yes, certainly, sir. What would you like? Well, uh, how about a little Red Leicester? I'm afraid we're fresh out of Red Leicesters, and never mind. How are you on uh, Tilsit? Never at the end of the week, sir. Always get it fresh first thing on Monday. Tish, tish. No matter. Um, well, four ounces of Kefili, then, if you please, stout yeoman. Ah, well, it's been on order for two weeks, sir. I was expecting it this morning. Yes, it's not my day, is it? Uh, Belpaese? Sorry. Red Windsor? I'm normally, sir, yes. But today the van broke down. Ah. Uh, Stilton? Sorry. Gruyere, Emmental? No. Any Norwegian Jarlsberger? No. Liptar? No. Lancashire? No. White Stilton? No. Danish Blue? No. Double Gloucester? No. Cheshire? No. Any Dorset Blue Vinny? No. Brie, Roquefort, Pont Levesque, Port Salut, Savoyard, Saint Paulin, Carré de l'Est, Boursin, Brest Bleu, Pelle de Champagne, Camembert. Ah, we do have some Camembert. You do. Excellent. It's a bit runny, sir. Oh, I I, I like it runny. Well, as a matter of fact, it's it's very runny, sir. No matter, no matter. Hand over la fromage de la belle France qui s'appelle Camembert, s'il vous plaît. I think it's runnier than you like it, sir. I don't care how experimentally runny it is. Hand it over with all speed. Yes, sir. Oh! What? The cat's eating it. <laughs> Pezzy. She, sir. Gouda? No. Edam? No. Caithness? No. Smoked Austrian? No. Sage Derby? No, sir. You do have some cheese, do you? Oh, certainly, sir. It's a cheese shop, sir. We've got... No, 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 no. No, don't tell me. I'm, uh, I'm keen to guess. Fair enough. <laughs> Winsleydale. Yes, sir. Splendid. Well, I'll have some of that then, please. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. I thought you were referring to me, Mr. Winsleydale. <laughs> Gorgonzola? Yeah. Parmesan? Yeah. Mozzarella? Yeah. Uh, Pippo Creme? Yeah. Any Danish Finbo? No. Yeah. Czechoslovakian sheep's milk cheese? No. Yeah. Venezuelan beaver cheese? Not today, sir, no. Well, let's keep it simple. Um, how about cheddar? Well, I'm afraid we don't get much call for it round these parts, sir. It's the single most popular cheese in the world. Not round these parts, sir. And pray, what is the most popular cheese round these parts? Ilchester, sir. I see. Yes, sir, it's quite staggeringly popular in the manor, squire. Is it? Yes, sir, it's our number one seller. Is it? Yes, sir. Ilchester, eh? Right. Okay, I'm game. Have you got any, he asked, expecting the answer no. I'll have a look, sir. Mm, no. It's not much of a cheese shop, really, is it? Finest in the district, sir. And what leads you to that conclusion? Well, it's so clean. Well, it's certainly uncontaminated by cheese. <laughs> you haven't asked me about Limburger, sir. Is it worth it? Could be. Okay. Have you got... Will you shut that bloody dancing up? I told you so. 
Have you got any Limburger? No. No, that figures. No, it's pretty predictable, really. It was an act of pure optimism to pose the question in the first place. Uh, tell me something. Do you have any cheese at all? Yes, sir. Now, I'm going to ask you that question once more. And if you say no, I'm going to shoot you through the head. Now, do you have any cheese at all? No. What a senseless waste of human life. This is sort of a format that they may have done before. There, there's like the sort of thesaurus style. Oh, I guess well, the, the, dead, dead the dead parrot. Yeah. yeah, the dead parrot is maybe a more successful example of that. And or spam is another example because again, with the sort of the <laughs> random like musical elements and the people that you wouldn't expect to be in the background. Like, why are there Vikings singing about spam? Why is there the dancing music in the corner that has nothing to do with anything? And then they call it out. You know, it's very much of that world. And it's, you know, again, it's food-based humor. Like, there's a lot of, we've talked about how there's a lot of animal humor, but there, are also, there is also a lot of food-based humor in this. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, I'm try- I, hadn't, I hadn't anticipated being put on the spot like this to explain why the cheese shop is brilliant. Oh, I'm I sorry. Just, oh, no, no, no. No, it's an interesting, it's a good challenge. I like it. Um, I don't, I don't know that I can really explain it. Well, yeah, that's the thing with, with humor and with things that, move you or don't move you oh yeah in fact i'm going to share a quote this is michael palin talking about the fish slapping dance palin says it's my favorite of all time one can analyze things until one is blue in the face although in comedy i don't think that one really should as there's so little to analyze in that so sorry michael (laughs) we're we're doing we're basically setting ourselves up to fail by trying to analyze things that just they, they work for whatever reason like you can't explain like why why does a rose smell good i don't know why does right. chocolate taste good who i don't know there's just something it, it's a chemical thing you know like in what, cheese what, okay yeah i mean i love cheese i love me some cheese i so do maybe, love cheese. maybe i'm also biased because it's my favorite food <laughs> I do love cheese. And and I do absolutely love that that callback to it years later in the young ones. Oh no, that's that's that one of my so favorites. It's so good. And and I think that in in both of So okay, here's here's a question for you that I'm not quite sure how to answer. In the cheese shop sketch, which of the two of them would you say is the straight man? Or are or is neither one of them? Ooh, that's a good question. Um cuz if you think about, you know, the wow. if you think about the progenitor sketch which is the dead parrot they're both uh, uh, John Cleese has more and funnier lines and also has you know a funnier voice so he seems to be saying things that are ridiculous but also he's just very plainly observing the the obvious fact that this is a dead parrot while Michael is saying things that are actually more absurd and silly and he he is the crazier of the two characters because he's trying to lie and to justify why this parrot is lying down on its floor i mean the, the floor of its cage and so yeah in, in the same thing it's you know by mentioning all of these different kinds of cheeses it's like oh what what a, what a crazy thing but then i don't know i'm really really tickled by the michael palin character just saying no every single time like it's uh i don't know i think that maybe, maybe it's successful because they both are equally funny in it right maybe michael palin would technically be the straight man just because he's not upset John Cleese is upset and in the end shoots him and then puts on a cowboy hat, which I no, did laugh that's, at. That's true. I think that Michael Palin probably would be the straight man. But again, he is the more absurd person in that world because John Cleese has wandered into a cheese shop with the perfectly reasonable expectation of purchasing some cheese. So that's that's normal. I'm very I'm, I'm sort of more amused by 
Michael Palin's continuous just no, no, no. Like it's it's a very easy thing, but he's I don't know. It's like he's he's delivering the the less silly lines, but he's also the more absurd person just from a macro perspective. Does that make any sense at all? Um no, say that again. I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> I think if you didn't speak English maybe and you watched it, you would think that what Michael Palin is saying isn't funny because you wouldn't understand that he's saying, oh, he's pining for the fjords. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the delivery of it is, is a lot more straight, but it's also, he's he's the weird one. He's the weirdo of the situation. Yeah, uh, but but you shouldn't murder anybody over, over a lack of cheese. I know. Well, again, with, with Donkey's <laughs> playing playing angry characters. I mean, you can see the seeds of Basil Fawlty in so many of these sketches. You know, and that's, I think, one of the reasons that season four is kind of disappointing. There's still some great stuff in season four, but once you lose John Cleese, and this isn't to say that like, oh, he was the reason that the whole thing worked. But like, I think if you took out any one of them, it would drastically shift the balance of the show. And he tended to play the authority figures. And so when you when you just lose that energy, it just feels a lot more limited and claustrophobic when there's only really four main actors, especially because they would do longer sketches and sort of more linear plots. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, we've just seen this person. And then in the next scene, then that same person has to come back and be another person because they're just sort of shorthand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although I did not mind the golden age of ballooning. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind any of it. It was fun. <laughs> in, in season four, I really kind of liked the golden age of ballooning. And did you kind of notice that in seasons three and four, they did sort of up the amount of period pieces yeah do you think that might have had anything to do with budget because those fucking costumes for the golden age of ballooning were not bad with the wigs and terry jones's svelte frame (laughs) flanked by french lace (laughs) i'm sorry yeah there is a lot of period stuff in here and i think that that's also another reason that the show is so timeless and uh and that's something that you know they very deliberately didn't make any references to really topical humor with the exception of the little celebrity cameos of like i mean we we still know who lulu and ringo star are but like there's the real (laughs) news announcers that like if you didn't grow up in britain at the time like i have no idea who those people were i just gleaned from the laugh that they got like oh that must have been a real newscaster at the time right Right. But like, and, and you know, you don't, and because you're able to get it from context, like, I'm not going to have the same laugh of like, oh, I know that guy. He reads me my news every night. But like, I, I get the joke. But, yeah. you know, when you're making super duper topical references, that stuff doesn't age as well. And so when you set something in the past, it's the same thing with Blackadder. It's the same thing with a majority of the Python films, like with Holy Grail and Life of Brian. I think that it's very successful when you have sort of contemporary style humor placed in an ancient era that's there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fun to be had there oh yeah like an elizabethan dirty bookstore oh yes that was wonderful <laughs> gay boys in bondage i loved all of those book titles how they were straight to the point <laughs> like gay boys, in bondage. gay boys in bondage oh yes and then when she has to read it as if it's just normal that was so funny yeah that was fantastic you can't yeah. outlaw porn you can't do it yeah was she reading that to Michael Palin? Was that right? Something that I just love about Michael Palin so much is that he's so good at playing the innocent. That's why he, like, no one else could have been the star of that cycling tour sketch but him. And no one else could have been the the cuckold husband in the marriage counselor sketch but him. He's just, he seems so fixated on these little things 
that he misses the big picture and the very obvious mm-hmm. things going on around him. And so that's just another little piece that, that fits in with my theory. Yes. You know what I hated? And, and I don't want to dwell on it, but the dirty vicar. Girl, yes. Talk about something that has not aged well. I, Fuck. There's no point. That is like straight up rape culture with nothing redeeming or nothing funny or nothing ironic or commentary about it. Like Even for its time, like, I mean, of course it didn't age well, but even at the time, that was the joke. I am grabbing mm-hmm. women who don't want to be grabbed and it's funny because I'm a vicar? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, when I say that it didn't age well, I mean, specifically like within the last maybe five years we've really woken up to the fact like I, I mean I don't even know when the term rape culture was coined and became like, oh. widely circulated in common parlance but I feel like we're just a lot more conscious of these things that always kind of felt a little bit iffy and wrong and that left a bad taste in our mouths and right. oh yeah no that was one that as soon as they announced it I was like oh no oh no I know exactly what's coming because it's burned into my brain because I watched it a lot as a kid and I didn't <sighs> especially like it but I didn't hate it as a kid but yeah, there's really, th- this felt just like, oh, I want to grab some women's tits in a sketch. I think I'll just write it, shall I? <laughs> like, uh, uh, yeah, I, or, you know, I want to make out with Carol Cleveland on the sidewalk. Although, that'd be awesome. That was but that was funny. That had a point. <laughs> then, it did. And then she did. asks, oh, can, can father move in with us and sleep in our bed? That's a great one. <laughs> I know. Although, ultimately, if that couple doesn't mind getting it on on a sidewalk by a major thoroughfare, I don't know why they would then have to limit themselves to being in bed with with dad. Here's, here's what I'll say about that. There are some people out there who are exhibitionists. I'm going to quickly state that is not me. I would never, ever, ever want to be naked in public, much less doing it in public. But, um, but there are some people who don't really you mind. don't have to! <laughs> Do you I don't have to? I, I love it because that that's that's not exactly um smiled upon. I, I think no, no. I'm illegal. just saying though. But there are some people who like that's their kink, and it's like really there are a lot of exhibitionists out there. I am not among them. I'm the exact opposite. I would uh, be but, so upset if I were just want... like leaving Sprouts and there were people fucking. <laughs> I'd be so See, mad. No, anyway. I I wouldn't be upset about that because I am a voyeur. That's the difference. I'm I'm the other side of it. No, I'm kidding. Oh. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> let me let me backtrack. So what the, what I was going to say was that well, I was, well, dude, was that it's, it's one people... thing to like accidentally see that someone's left the drapes open versus dude, you're in my way. I have my shopping cart. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. please. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's pervier if you're like if with the drapes because then you have to be sort of intentionally looking for it. But like I don't know. Anyway, the point is that like public sex and public nudity is a turn on for some people. Not me, but but the kink is out there. But I don't think that as many people have a desire to have sex with their parents watching and or in the same bed with them. That seems a lot creepier and more targeted. Oh, and actually, it, this is so funny. This reminds me. <laughs> this reminds me of a really weird game of Would You Rather that someone that I played with someone like ten years ago. Oh, good. And then the question was. Would you rather shower in a store window, like on a on a public street, for a month every single day, or masturbate once in front of your third grade teacher? And I said that one because first of all, my third grade teacher was a woman, and that doesn't feel quite as pervy. And like as a woman, you don't need to like get anything out. Like I could just stick my hand down my pants, and it'd be like, look, this is gonna be awkward for both of us, but just like it'll take a few minutes. And also. 
that, that just that just felt it, it felt like you get it you get it over with really quickly. Whereas like showering in front of people i think also that the, the person that i was playing with he said the showering thing but he was a dude and when you're a woman like being naked is just so much more vulnerable because the world feels that it has a right to comment on your body and to tear you down and i, I don't want to subject myself to that kind of humiliation that people would be able to think that they have ownership over my body and or be really creepy like what what if people like came and watched every single day like that's just so awkward i would not want to be naked in public but like I could oh, I could just have course. one uncomfortable Pe- experience with my third grade teacher. People would be Snapchatting that shit. It would be exactly, announced yeah. on social media like no, exactly. oh, the, with the, the internet there again. With the internet wow. that would be a really like there's just so many ways to be exploited. Whereas like I could get if you're if you're a man and you just like you have your back to them then it's like no one really cares about a dude's naked butt. I mean, I do, but most people don't. But your third grade teacher though. I don't think that's a very good would you rather. I, I don't know the last time I thought about my third grade teacher. Of course I'd masturbate in front of her. <laughs> is, that your, is that your yardstick for whether you would masturbate in front of someone? Like, if I don't think about you for like 10 years, then you've reached the window and it's okay. <laughs> Well, like, look, if the choice were, like, you know, the public showering or your grandmother, your your friend's grandmother, there's just way worse options than your third grade teacher, which is why I would agree I would have the same answer as you. But I shouldn't have said, I should not have said, of course, because that's a little bit. That but also, made, if you're, made my since, statement a little I weird. think that most elementary school teachers are women, though. And so if you're a guy, like, and you have to, like, actually whip your dick out, this is getting so horrible. I should probably cut this conversation, but I really want to finish it. Um, like... It could be sort of more of a predatory sort of thing or like more of a, absolutely a violation. Is, but but it's but you have to do it for whatever reason in the would you rather world. And and that's interesting that only upon pulling out your dick would you as a man go, I feel a little pervy, but you'd be perfectly fine going, Ooh, a girl showering in the window of Vaughn's, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. We should get okay, how do we get this conversation back on track? I forgot how we I, even started talking about it. I think this is a great conversation. Okay, so what are other highlights for you? I think that probably the biggest gem of these two seasons is the argument clinic. Yes. Yes. Talk it about is. that. I, I tried and failed to explain the cheese shop, so you get get up at bat and uh and talk about the argument clinic. I don't think you failed at the cheese shop. Look, Thanks. it's, it's, I guess I was, I was asking more for your perspective and maybe if you had any ideas as to why that one's classic. Oh, no, no, I, I understand. I know I didn't, wasn't like prove it, but, but I'm just saying that since I had my chance to try to be articulate about, about a classic sketch, like you, you take the, this isn't like a challenge. I'm, I'm trying to be generous. Like talk about the argument sketch. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I love the argument sketch because it's not like the you know the summarized proust or the attila the hun show where they have a really smart premise and then they sort of just do something and sometimes when they do that it's great i have no problem with the randomness and the surprising elements of the show it's when the surprise is not funnier or even equal to the premise that they set up that I get annoyed. Is that yeah. fair to say? Like the homicidal um, barber is already great, but then when you take it to the lumberjack sketch, it's like next level. That's what I'm saying. That's a you beautiful know? pivot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why did that make oh, you laugh? Why did that make me laugh? Because it's a funny show. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
I thought it was what I said that made you laugh. And I was like, oh, that, that just said but something. No, no, that's, that, that's true, too, because you kind of sounded like a sports announcer. You just, that's a beautiful pivot. Like, I, anyway. Um, the, the argument sketch is, I know I talked about this earlier, the very first Flying Circus sketch I ever saw. And I really love how it's the stupid, surrealist, why would there be a place where you go just to argue with people? Mm-hmm. But then you kind of pick a side. You kind of are on the side of Michael Palin's argument because John Cleese is just kind of being a dick, saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, Yes, it is. Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. (laughs) No, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I didn't. I'm telling you I did. You did not. I'm sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? (laughs) Oh, oh, just the five-minute one. Fine. (laughs) Thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Now, let's get one thing quite clear. I most definitely told you. You did not. Yes, I did. You did not. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. No, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. You just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. No, 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 no. You did just no, then. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. You came here for an argument. Well, an argument's not the same as contradiction. Can be? No, it can't. An argument is a collective series of statements to establish a definite proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It isn't just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. But it isn't just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. I love that it's kind of also a salesman trick, too, because Michael Palin only paid for five minutes. But then they, they get him into this argument, but his five minutes is up. Thank you. That's it. Good morning. I was just getting interested. Sorry, the five minutes is up. That was never five minutes just now. I'm afraid it was. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not allowed to argue anymore. What? If you want me to go on arguing, you'll have to pay for another five minutes. But that was never five minutes just now. Oh, come on. (laughs) This is ridiculous. I'm very sorry, but I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you pay. Oh, all right. There you are. Thank you. Well? Well, what? That was never five minutes just now. I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you paid. I just paid. No, you didn't. I did! I did! I did! No, no, I don't want to argue about that. Well, I'm very sorry, but you didn't pay. Aha! Well, if I didn't pay, why are you arguing? Gotcha! No, you haven't. Is that? If you're arguing, I must have paid. Not necessarily. I could be arguing in my spare time. <laughs> I've had enough of this. No, you haven't. Oh, shut up. And all the different rooms have different things. He, he accidentally goes into the room for abuse. What do you want? <laughs> well, I was told outside. Don't give me that, you snotty face heap of parrot droppings. <laughs> what? Shut your festering gob, you tit. Your type makes me puke. You vacuous, toffee-nosed, malodorous pervert! Look! I came in here for an argument! Oh! Oh, oh, I'm sorry, this is abuse. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see, that, that explains it. Yeah. Oh, no, you want 12A next door. I see. Yeah. Sorry. Not at all. No, that's all right. Stupid git. <laughs> And then he ends up in Terry Jones's room for being hit in the head with a hammer, the which I definitely once tried to reenact for my brother's friend oh. Chris um, <laughs> years ago. I was very little, and I was trying to do the entire argument sketch for someone who had never seen it. Oh wow, and that's ambitious. Was maybe nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I'm totally happy with the beginning, middle, end on a weirdie for that sketch. I think oh. that's a very successful, you know, intelligent and just weird enough. And uh, yes, it's a great one. Yeah, that's it's so smart because, yeah, the, just the way that they deconstruct what an argument is and and just the, the, the rhythm of the language is so very tight and exact. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a sonnet or a symphony. Like, it's so precise. And there's like there's the part where where you know John Cleese is always saying no it isn't and then but then there's a little flip where he says something and then Michael Palin has to come back with no it isn't and that's a huge laugh it's kind of it's a little bit like Looney Tunes rabbit season duck season there's just like some some nice little reversals in there that happen that are so quick and playful and wonderful and then yeah like you said they they follow through with the premise like to a conclusion that makes a bizarre sort of monty python sense and then at the end when it's like they come in and try to arrest them for like not having a good ending of a sketch and like oh this is this is lazy and and so like another cop comes in and and arrests the cop who's and it's like wait a minute it it just gets more and more meta it's like putting a mirror in front of a mirror or like it's, it's like a fractal of comedy it's so good right now you two me old beauties you are nicked what for? I'm charging you under section 21 of the Strange Sketch Act. <laughs> what? You are hereby charged that you did willfully take part in a strange sketch, that is, a skit, spoof, or humorous vignette of an unconventional nature with intent to cause grievous mental confusion to the great British public. <laughs> Evening all. <laughs> and you toss. Wow! That's excellent! Right, come on down the aisle. Hold it, hold it. Allow me to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Inspector Thompson's Gazelle of the Programme Planning Police Light Entertainment Division Special Flying Squad. Flying Thompson's Gazelle of the Yard? Shut up! Ah! He's good. Shut up! Wow! Rotten! Ah! God! I'm arresting this entire show on three counts. One, acts of self-conscious behaviour contrary to the Not In Front of the Children Act. Two, always saying it's so-and-so of the yard every time the fuzz arrives. And three, and this is the cruncher. Offences against the getting out of sketches without using a proper punchline act. <laughs> Namely, simply ending every pleading sketch by just having a policeman come in and... <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold it. It's a fair cop. It's, it's really, yeah. really one of the cleverest things I think that they ever did. Plus, isn't that one of the episodes where the credits come on early and then they say, and now five more minutes of Flying Circus and then it's that sketch? Yes. No, I think that th- that was where I wrote down the note about how like every time I thought that I was close to approaching Python fatigue, I was like, oh, well, like that was kind of an OK episode. And then they, the credits came on and then I was like, oh, wait, there's five more minutes. And then it was the argument clinic. And I was like, fuck, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you did it, guys. You brought it home. Mm. Mm. There are some funny things, though, that, that could be construed as social commentary. Like, I love the Looney Church. Yes. When uh, Michael Palin approaches John Cleese and Carol Cleveland and says, oh, do you mind if I if I sit here? I'm not I'm not bothering you. And he is sort of aggressive about it. And then they, they allow him to sit. And then he starts just acting really weird. He starts smashing plates and making all these weird hand gestures. And then he starts going. And at first they seem very irritated, but then it cuts forward to them in their home, engaging in the same sort of weird behaviors. And then it says, and every Sunday we go to the Looney Church. Uh, and it's it's really funny because that is. I think that is how all religions look to people from the outside of them. It's mm. like, you know, 
you could say, oh, it's really stupid that, like, Scientologists believe that everything's about aliens, but, like, the world is terrible because a snake made a woman eat an apple. Like, you know, it's like everybody can... The mythology of oh, every yeah. culture is completely fucking stupid, and it's so easy to see that if you're not part of the culture. And so, yeah, every every church is a loony church to me as, you know... A totally snotty atheist. Sorry, but yeah, I think that I think that that was pretty funny in a way that felt again harmless because it's not taking specific aim at any specific religions. It's just like yeah, this is all pretty silly if you get right down to it and you look at what the actual practices are and what the actual literal beliefs are. Oh yeah, my, my favorite is that uh, Zeus, the Greek god, definitely never existed. And it's all myths, and in those myths he has sex with a lot of women. But God definitely didn't have sex with Mary. That was magic. <laughs> anyway. He's so good he didn't need to. <laughs> That's how powerful God's sperm is. Exactly. Boom. God's sperm. <laughs> oh, another really fun episode that I that I loved that I had completely forgotten about until it came up, which was Dennis Moore. Is that the one about the ant? No, that's the one. Dennis Moore, Dennis Moore, riding through the night. It's John Cleese as the highwayman who steals from the rich and gives to the poor, but then the poor oh, get so yes. rich that they become the rich. And he says, that "Oh, this, this wealth, you know, th this wealth redistribution is a lot more complicated than I thought." That was really, really funny. That one was good with um, <laughs> the lupins. The lupins, yeah. It's so, it's so silly. It's, it's that perfect blend of Python where it's like it takes a really ridiculous element that doesn't. It, it's a complete non sequitur for him to be after lupins, but then it also has a bit of sort of sly social commentary about like income inequality and wealth and class and status it's uh yeah it, it's a goodie yeah no i liked that one but you mentioned the ant that was that was michael ellis that was the episode <gasps> right right I, got I, confused. I liked that episode a lot actually it, it felt very sort of dreamlike where you're you're on a weird mission and it takes you in all of these unexpected directions and you never quite get to your point but again i really like that sort of meta ending where they talk about oh well we could get, go off into the sunset or we could have a big fight scene or we could just let it end abruptly and that's something that a lot of python sketches and episodes do yes it, it was um not the ending per se but it was kafka-esque yeah with uh speaking to the manager and all that yeah not having answers and also i mean i think that that episode is where they sort of hit peak animal i mean they have an actual live tiger <laughs> and they also uh they they mention so many different animals because uh eric idol's character keeps like getting all of these new exotic pets the latest of which is an ant which is very funny <laughs> just the and even just that first scene where he's purchasing an ant in the store it just made me think of something that i don't that we sort of take for granted in the same way that like we take for granted that, that religions are normal even though they're completely fucking not it's so weird that we own animals you know what i mean oh yeah it's oh, like it's fucked th up. that it's 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 fucked up and it's it, it like it's it's very immoral and and unethical in a lot of ways but like and certainly especially if you have like an exotic pet and like i'm i'm deeply against zoos and circuses that that use animals but like but it's just it's just weird that that you can purchase an animal whether it's you know whether it's a dog or a cat or a cow or a goat or a lobster to eat like it's just it's weird you buy a living thing it's kind of fucked up and i hadn't really thought of that until i watched eric buy an ant i mean if i decided to chuck it all and live on a farm maybe i'd prefer having animals sure <laughs> i mean to what to just living alone 
still like raising crops. Like, say I don't want to walk all the way out to my cabbage patch, so I hop on my horse. <laughs> all right. Or, or I need fresh eggs. And since six eggs is too expensive. <laughs> oh my god, why do you keep bringing up Beauty and the Beast when we're talking about Python? <laughs> because that would have been how old I was <laughs> when all of this first came into my life. Oh shit, no, that's but, true. You know, I wouldn't, I, look, I would never want to slaughter a chicken if, if I, uh, unless I absolutely needed to do so for survival, but I would own chickens for the eggy wags. <laughs> You know, that is giving an animal a place to live where it can do what it does. And it's like mutually beneficial. I would make sure it was safe and well fed, but I wouldn't just like keep it in a very warm apartment and then leave for work and come back and be like, oh, shut up, chicken. I've had a long day. (laughs) What do you think of the of the episode where Graham Chapman is the doctor? It's in season four and Terry Jones comes in with that stab wound that is profusely bleeding but he has to fill out the paperwork that again that again feels like a lot of like a commentary that's yeah about bureaucracy and the inefficiency of these things yeah oh the healthcare system obviously it's it's better in the uk than it is here but still yeah just the the amount of paperwork and money and ridiculous red tape standing between people who urgently need medical attention (laughs) Yeah. And getting that medical attention. But I loved when Terry Jones f- fills it out and Graham Chapman then looks it over and he's like, surely you knew number four. It's from the Merchant of Venice. Oh, yeah. Though that was that was yeah. very funny. And again, and again, very absurd. But it does also feel like, you know, not only do you need to have a certain amount of money, but maybe you need to be part of a certain class in order to receive care. You need to have a certain education. Just the idea that there are all of these really, really random factors contributing whether or not our society literally believes whether or not you deserve to live like it's oh gosh yeah your pre-existing oh man yeah it's it's so terrible it's so terrible wait you know what we need to talk about the the fucking um fliegen dezirkus oh the german Yes. Oh, that was great. I um I don't want to use the word discovered. I feel like I say discovered too much on the show. But eh. um I oh, yeah, I, I I found it completely sort of by accident um going through watching the regular episodes on the internet. Suddenly I come across you know, Monty Python's Fliegender Zirkus. I'm like, why is it in German? And yeah, they were asked in nineteen seventy-two to do like a special episode filmed in Germany, all in German for the German audience. And um, <laughs> anyway, if if you if you can find it, it's it's fantastic. I fucking loved it. It is really delightful. Yeah, it was actually two forty-five minute episodes. The first of which is in German. The second of which is not, and I don't think is as good. That's but why I, I didn't even really, talk about. Really it. delighted by the by the German one. Yes, oh they God. um. They had to um, memorize the lines phonetically because none of of them actually spoke fluent German. But I think they sound really good. But that kind of adds to how whimsical the whole thing is. I don't speak German either. But like that surprises me because the first note that I took was hearing John please speak German is hilarious. Dot dot dot. It just makes a certain sense. I think it's because of just his seriousness and the way that we think of German as being such a serious language and their culture being so serious. It, It really. That, that seems like a match made in heaven to me. Maybe it's also just because of the Germans episode of, of Faulty Towers. I don't know. That him as the authority figure at the desk 
and and trying to be serious about this documentary about this painter it's just Albrecht Dürer Dürer that's the yeah he's he's kind of the the through line throughout is is the German painter Albrecht Dürer but um what I kind of loved about it was that the episode in German reminded me of like in school when you took a second language and they always had us do videos like as if any of us ever took those seriously (laughs) so it kind (laughs) of reminded me of if it was all just a school project in German and they were making up funny things. That's a really funny point that you bring up about the foreign language. And I really didn't know. I just sort of assume that since everyone, their educational system is so much better than ours. I assume that everyone knows like multiple European languages over there. But mm-hmm. I guess I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, at the very least, I feel like maybe their pronunciation going in might be better than than mine would be on day one. But That's probably true. They were super convincing, and I have to say, um, I mean, some of the sketches we saw before, like they attempt the lumberjack in German, which... <laughs> yeah, I think that's the only uh, bit of repetition. Yeah, there was, there was that. But I, kind, I which... kind of feel like, you know, they didn't really attempt it changing their humor at at all they just did the same thing just in a in a foreign language i feel like i could have seen any of those sketches a couple things about the lumberjack song in german obviously i prefer the original uh i think that i think that it's funnier i think that connie booth is funnier than the woman that they had in that because she's looking at him very intensely and like listening to him and doesn't just like it's better how connie booth starts off happy and then gets progressively sad as she realizes that her love is a transvestite uh, but my favorite thing about it was actually the subtitles as the chorus is grumbling at the end and departing in anger and disgust. It's, that's shocking. That's rude. I love that so much. I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> also, did you kind of notice that there were certain points where as Michael Palin was lip syncing, he was clearly singing the English words when, oh, no, when the, and the German that. words were coming out of his mouth? I watched a really low quality video, so I might not have caught that. That's funny. Oh, one thing that was different about this season or this whatever Fliegender Circus, as opposed to Flying Circus, is that it wasn't filmed in front of a studio audience, so there's no laughter. Yeah, which is interesting because it sort of seems to pave the way for the movies and to prove that that style of humor can work with or without an audience. Obviously, most of their stuff was done in front of an audience, like the the live shows that they went on to do and all of Flying Circus. But I, it reminds me of something that I said when we were talking about Mr. Bean and how the movies don't really work and how it just feels weird for there to be all of this visual, physical humor without any laughter unless it's coming from you. And I didn't feel that same awkwardness in this. It's it's uh, And every single show that we've talked about so far has had... A, a live studio audience or in the case of Mr. Bean laughter recorded later and that's something that I think a lot of people a lot of comedy snobs these days have like a stick up their butt about I don't really discriminate like if if the comedy is good I don't care whether there's laughter or not it's uh, it, it totally doesn't matter to me one way or the other but I did think that it was cool that like Monty Python obviously is capable of nailing it either way oh yeah I'm actually glad you brought that up because I don't consider myself a a laugh track snob either. But as a modern viewer, it was kind of interesting to realize. It took me a couple minutes. I go, oh, wait a second. This is, this just looks like a show that people make today. (laughs) You know, like it, like it it took me a second for, for that to, to catch up with me because it kind of flowed that, that naturally. 
I don't know. Yeah. Like, is, <laughs> I think it, I think it occurred to me too extra when when Graham Chapman is dressed as as a vampire with the big like plastic fake fangs in his mouth in front of that <laughs> castle with yeah. with the cape on, and then he just he he says something I don't know in German, <laughs> and I went, oh yeah. wait, there's no laugh track, and I think that was well <laughs> into the episode. Yeah, I think a couple of my favorite moments. Uh, there's there's this one part where they they spend oh I, I timed it over two minutes with different people talking about how a certain Frenchman hasn't gone to the toilet in five years yes and they just keep repeating it over and over it's so funny again with the drawing out a joke until like it gets funnier every single time but honestly my biggest laugh was the little Red Riding Hood yes like it's it's very rare for me when i'm watching something by myself no matter how amused i am i don't often laugh out loud but i was cackling at like six foot five john cleese as little red riding hood walking through the forest and like kicking down trees (laughs) that (laughs) that image i could i could not stop laughing and then also they've got this little adorable tiny dog playing the wolf and like it's got like a little bit of fur over its body to to make it look more wolf-like and and you can see that there's like a handler trying to move it in one direction or another or like it's clearly on a leash that was really really funny that was so good yeah cut to dachshund dachshund looking at the at the camera just kind of confused with the harsh like sound of the german language and then the subtitles about how it was a vicious wolf Good. Yeah. My first big laugh was when they're talking about the Albrecht Diora and they mm-hmm. said, here to sing a song about him is Anita Ekberg. <laughs> and it was just the cardboard cutout of Anita Ekberg in yes. La Dolce Vita with Terry Jones hiding behind her, just singing this stupid made up song that was like, <laughs> oh, Albrecht, Albrecht Diora, like over and over again. That's been kind of stuck yes. in my head for a few days. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. Oh, wait, there was one more thing that I wanted to talk about, not related to the German episodes. I think it might have been season three. Contains my favorite animation of the whole thing. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I want to talk about the German animation. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's the one with a man and a woman embracing, and it says, Oh, James. Oh, Beatrice. James! Oh, Beatrice! Oh, James! I could make such a fool of myself over you! Oh, Beatrice! Do! Do! And then she pulls out some crazy glasses with a nose and a mustache and goes, blah, 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 blah. And that, that I remembered from my, it was one of those things that I hadn't seen since childhood, but then it instantly jogged my memory. And that was something that I, I shared with my sister as soon as it came up. And she said, oh, my God, I remember this, too. And we both realized that that was sort of our model for what a good adult romantic relationship is. Like, that's what we want in a partner is someone to be silly with. I, I was going to say I love the, the German animation of the two flashers that are both flashing a yes. billboard and they fall in love with each other. Is that your model of what a perfect relationship is? Fuck Yes. <laughs> knew it nailed it called it i might never have actually challenged myself to go back and do all of this um so it was it was interesting i think it was important work to do to go back and watch (laughs) all of flying circus because um it's really cool that monty python then did things for decades maybe not necessarily churning out you know, 13 episodes of a season of comedy, but it's still a thing that people know about and refer to. It wasn't just, um, you know, 
remember that really weird show that was on Adult Swim? <laughs> like that, <laughs> that kind of totally could be like a modern day equivalent of, oh, there was this really weird thing that came on and people were singing about spam. But, <laughs> but instead it be, you know, because it was so early on, it became this huge, you know, iconic thing that um, the, the reach of which spans, spans decades. And so, yeah, I don't know if we didn't have the podcast that I'd necessarily go back and watch all of it in just a few weeks. <laughs> but uh, I, I think I'm glad I did. How well, about you? I, I'm I'm very glad that I did too. You know, I still love this show, even with all of its racial and, and sexual problems. It's uh it's it's still such a gem and it's been really wonderful rewatching it. Uh I kinda can't wait to go back and watch season one because that's obviously my favorite. But I'm also really, really looking forward to talking about Holy Grail next week. I am so happy that we get to do that. I know. Like that's that's okay, so I feel like we should say here. We know that people have talked about this in the past, be it on TV or in, you know, in a documentary or a Q&A or, or even other podcasts out there. But, yeah, um, but this time you're going to hear it from us yeah. because we want to watch it and we want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're looking to get your ass blown out with uh, new information and theories that you've never heard, go <laughs> elsewhere. We just yeah, want to have but if fun. you're if you're looking to hear da, da, Stephanie da, da, talk da, da, about da. how hot Terry is, then you've come to the right podcast. I mean, I've 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 been trying to kind of keep it on the DL, but oh, because I don't want to dominate the conversation. But yes, I he looks so good in season four. I'm just like Welshman, get it? <laughs> yes, but yeah, no, I, I think that you bring up a good point, like. With Python, I think that I was nervous to talk about it because, like you said, a lot of people have talked about it before. And because, as, as Michael Palin said, like, it's it's comedy. It, it makes you laugh or it doesn't. And, you know, analyzing it is not necessarily going to illuminate why. I think I proved that when I tried to talk about the cheese shop sketch. But, um, but, but really, you know, this isn't an academic podcast, but the information is out there. If you really want to know the origin story or, like, the personal lives of these men, I encourage you to go look for all that stuff. But this whole podcast is really just us talking about why we love these properties. Yeah. So we're going to be continuing on that journey, talking about the films, starting with Holy Grail next time. So, Kaylee... I'm still not wearing any pants. Yes, you are. Sorry, that was my attempt at arguing. No, no I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. That was just me being a bad improv partner rather than making a reference to a sketch. No, I I don't know. Oh, man. Kaylee was always one of my favorite improv partners. Just Aww. BT dubs. No, I wasn't. It was a good time. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, God. Guess, oh uh, my dear god uh i need to hydrate homie all right you go it's do that hot in here all this terry jones talking <laughs> thinking of him sitting up on that bench naked with all that booty hanging yes <laughs> well 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 stephanie leaves us to go drink some rosé and masturbate uh the rest <laughs> of you guys should uh, grab some coconuts and join us next week for holy grail so peace <laughs> bye <laughs>